How many of you, you've had a good week so far? Just a good week? Kind of, sort of? All right. Some of you are like, I don't know. I'm not awake yet. I'm still kind of waking up. Well, we are glad you are here this morning. Excited to have you. Football season has officially kicked off, so I feel normal, folks. Just got to say it, all right? I feel normal, all right? Football season started, kind of getting back in the routine, watching sports and everything. Yesterday was a good day, watching my team lose. It was sad. San Jose State lost to Auburn. Anybody else just weep, cry? Anybody? You're like, I don't care about San Jose State. Man, Man, I got to go find another church. Uh, Anyway, good to see you. We're kicking off a new series, and I'm glad that you are here. We're calling it I Quit. And you probably saw that, and we're thinking, Where's he going with this? You know, like, I quit. Where, where, where do I quit? Where is it okay to quit? Because as I thought about even the series title, I was thinking, that's just like so un-American, isn't it? Just to quit. It's just like not even, it just rubs your own to quit anything. You're, your whole life you're told, don't quit, keep going, keep going, dig deep. You can do it. You can make it. And here I'm going to start a series entitled, it's time to quit. And uh, so we're looking at the Word of God. And we're going to be in Luke chapter number 9. If you have your Bibles, great. If not, in your notes is the Scriptures. Also, it'll be on the screen. If this is your first time here, we are honored that you will be here. Thank you so much for coming. It's exciting to kick things off. And uh, I look forward to every Sunday getting to open up the Word of God and speak to you. And I hope you know that this is not something where um, that it's like, okay, what do they need? I want you to know that I preach out of the overflow of my own heart, what God's teaching me, what I wrestle with. I don't want to be the pastor that gets up and say, okay, what do you all need? And just kind of ignore my own heart. I deal with my own. And then out of that overflow, God will speak through his word and he'll give me these ideas of how to present his truth to the people. And I'm excited to bring to you just a message that really is out of the overflow of my heart as I've been studying. And we're looking forward to this series. Uh, Sometimes we can get to the point where we're just tired of status quo. We're just fed up with just kind of doing the same old thing, life as usual, just kind of never seeing the momentum we want to see, never seeing the life change we want to see. And maybe you've gotten to the point you're just kind of frustrated with that. Um, I remember early on in ministry, for me, I'm not very old, only been in ministry just just right at a decade now is where I'm, I'm kind of approaching ministry about a decade and so even young and young in the ministry I began to get stressed out and just kind of like overwhelmed with everything that was going on and I heard a pastor say he said every year I have a of course a to-do list is what I want to accomplish is what I want to kick things off with but then he said on the flip side of that I also have a not to-do list and I was like that's great And he said, every time I have a to-do list, I say, what am I going to stop doing? Because there are some things in life that we just kind of keep adding to the plate. And you and I, we are limited on our capacity. Have you noticed that? I mean, you'll have a long week at work and the boss will say, hey, we got a big project and you're going to go hard, but you can only go hard for so long or you're involved in sports. You can only go hard for so long. And there's so many things where you're just like, I can't take anymore. I mean, parents, you just kicked off school. You had to buy all the clothes, get their books, get everything organized. And you're probably pretty frazzled. You know, it's kind of a stressful time. And you're just kind of settling back into the routine of, hey, September, back to school. Okay, all these things are happening. And you can get overwhelmed. And I think about Martha when I think of overwhelmed, because the Bible says Jesus came to her and said, Martha, Martha, you're cumbered about. You've got all these things that you're worried about, but you're missing what's most needful. And it was as if Jesus was saying, hey, I understand, yes, we need to eat. I understand you've got to keep the house. I understand you've got guests. You've got to entertain. But he said, don't miss the most important thing. And this is what I love about you guys taking time on a Sunday. You're saying Sunday is an important thing to me. 
it's important to me to be here. I'm going to not be cumbered about with so many things. Um, I will TiVo the game. I will watch it later, or I'll check it on my phone if the sermon gets boring. You know, um, I'll figure out a way to get things done, or I'll figure out a way to catch up. And so you've prioritized this time, and I'm excited about this message. I've entitled it, I Quit Being a Fan. I quit being a fan. That's the first thing. I quit being a fan. And I thought it would tie in so well with football season starting. You got a lot of fans. Um, we got a lot of teams. I remember in the 90s, the Dallas Cowboys were winning their Super Bowls, Troy Aikman, and uh, they were just going like crazy. Everybody seemed like everybody was a Dallas Cowboy fan. Were there any of you that you jumped on that Dallas Cowboy bandwagon in the 90s? Some of you, oh, I got thumbs down. You're like, no, never. Uh, going back just a little bit earlier. Joe Montana, 49ers. Did some of you jump on that bandwagon? You've been tried it. You are a 49ers fan hardcore. Okay, we got some. Of course, the Bay Area. This is like, man, you know, this, you have to be. But there's people that all of a sudden, once they started winning those football, those Super Bowls, fans came out of the woodwork. But they weren't true blue fans. I mean, they weren't there the last four years. We've just been stinking it up. You know, all of a sudden now it's, oh, I'm proud of my team now that they're doing well. Like, it seems like everybody's a Seattle Seahawks fan now. Have you noticed that? Like, I'm just, okay, they came out of nowhere, and now everybody wants to be a Seahawks fan. There's just these fans. But I see it, too, in the church, though. I see it there, too, where we've got this fans. They're just fans. Just kind of, hey, yeah, we'll talk about Jesus at church and on Sunday. But they never see it go to that, that next level. They never quite seem like the video said to go all in. They hold back just a, just a little bit. And I feel like in the church, we've done that to people. We've kind of taken away and we've kind of given this safe Christianity. And I, I understand. I, I understand you, especially us at our stage, we want to grow the church. And so sometimes there's this tendency to kind of tame down the word of God, tame down exactly what Jesus Christ said. And um, because we're going to look at some truths here in Luke and Jesus doesn't hold anything back, folks. He really doesn't. He's pretty in your face about some things. And it's easy to say, hey, I'm going to kind of edit Jesus' words a little bit to kind of polish it over a little bit. If you're a Joel Osteen fan, I don't know if you saw the news about what his wife said, hey, don't do it for God, do it for yourself. And I was like, hmm, that's in the Bible. No, it's not. And I was like, is that what people, is that what sells today? Is that what grows a church that we just got to say it's all about you? Is that what it takes? Because that's not what Jesus said. And the tendency, the temptation would be to say, I just want to preach what you're going to like, okay? But as we look at this morning's message, and as we look at what Jesus said, it may be one of those things where we say, yeah, Christianity wasn't supposed to be safe. Uh, We're seeing this stuff on the news, what's happened in the Middle East, and it's kind of new to some of us to hear about beheadings of Christians. That's kind of new. It's been going on for a long time, folks. A long time. I follow the persecuted church or voice of the martyrs this stuff has been going on for a long time it's just finally starting to make worldwide news christians have been persecuted for a long time this version of 21st christianity where it's safe and we just get to hang out drink coffee and we love jesus and rock out for jesus that i'm not opposed to it but that's not the gospel of jesus christ is not safe and i understand what we've done is we've we've never really allowed people to experience risky faith Risky Christianity. We like to play it safe. I know that last week I kind of stepped on your toes pretty hard, so this week I want to go a little bit easier. Last week was kind of a tough message, and you guys did well. You came back, so you can pat yourself on the back for that. You made it back. But uh, we have insulated ourselves and isolated ourselves from any discomfort. 
I call it the Christian Snuggie. We just want to insulate ourselves, just kind of get wrapped up, and that's our Christianity. We just want to stay nice and cozy, comfy, give me the remote, give me my coffee, my tea, or whatever I like to drink, and then give me my shows or something. That's, that's, that's our version, our brand of Christianity. And we're going to look at Luke 9. I've got a long introduction to kick off the series. Bear with me. But we've got to get back to the point where, where faith gives us an adrenaline rush. You say, what do you mean an adrenaline rush? Where your heart is pumping, where it's, I mean, Christianity today, I mean, is, is the bravest thing we do on a Sunday is to carry our Bible through the Oak Ridge Mall. Is that the bravest thing we do in our week? Is the bravest thing that you and I will do identifying with Christ is when we go to the restaurant to bow our heads and pray. Is that the bravest thing that we'll do? Is the bravest thing that we'll do in our week, is it that, we're going to invite somebody to our special test drive Sunday next Sunday. Is that, is that the bravest thing in our Christianity that we do? Is the bravest thing that we do in our Christianity the fact that we give a little bit of money to God, that we tithe to God? Is that, is that the epitome of our bravery? Or have we said, no, no, I'm going to go not just be a fan, but I'm going to take it to that next level. We never experienced those adrenaline rush. I remember growing up in a kid. I grew up in Madera, California. Anybody know where Madera is off the 99? A few of you. Okay, I'm sorry for you. And uh, so I lived there for a few years. And we lived out on a couple acres. My parents built the house out there when they started the church. They thought it'd be great to start a church in Fresno, but live 45 minutes away in Madera. They thought this would be a great idea. And so they bought this house. They built this house, and they built it on two acres. They thought this would be great. There was nothing to do. We had no real neighbors except for everybody had big plots of land. And so we just had nothing to do. We were homeschooled because uh, just for whatever reason, we were homeschooled. So there wasn't much to do. So my brothers, I grew up with several other siblings. And so we, would, we had a couple hills, and next door— um, next door, this is like a long way, acres and acres away, they would have these um, demon-possessed dogs, okay? That's, that's all I could call it. They, these dogs were ferocious, I mean, foaming at the mouth. And so what we would do, we didn't have much to do, is so we would get up on, there would be this hill, and we could see them, and they weren't chained up because it's kind of out in the country and everything. And so what we would do is we would yell and scream and throw rocks at these dogs. And then, of course, these dogs would start chasing after us. And then the game was, who could stay there the longest before they took off running? So it was like, wait for it, wait for it. And then you push your brother down and then you run like crazy, you know, as he just gets attacked by these demon-possessed dogs. And it was all because we liked that adrenaline rush. You know, as kids, it was all about that adrenaline rush. And then our cousins, our friends would come over and they'd be like, so what do you guys do? And we'd be like, oh, you want to know what we do? Okay, yeah, come on up here. And then we'll, we'll just kind of leave them and we kind of, hey, see, and then the dogs chasing after him to get that adrenaline rush. But in Christianity, what really gets your heart pumping? What really gets you going? Because we've got this Christianity where people think it's very feminized, where it's very safe, where it's just very, it's, you know, yeah, we kind of, that's our Christianity. It's not real. We're not engaging a culture. We're not engaging a community. And Jesus Christ, that was not his plan. That was not his will for his church. Matter of fact, I'm going to make a statement and you can write it down. The gospel of Jesus Christ costs nothing, but demands everything. The gospel of Jesus Christ costs nothing, but it demands everything. You and I, when we got saved, we didn't empty the bank account and pay it to God. When you and I, when we accepted Jesus Christ, we didn't uh, do penance or anything like that. 
The gospel came to you and I free and clear. You didn't have to pay for it. I didn't have to pay for it. Jesus Christ paid for it. But it demands everything. And I'm going to show it to you from the scripture. Your Bibles are open to Luke chapter number 9. Or your iPad or your phone or you're going to see it in your notes. Can we, out of respect for the word of God, can we please stand? And we're going to read just 11 verses. Can we stand out of respect for the word of God? And I'll start reading verse number 1. This will get the blood flowing, kind of get that exercise and everything. And if i got to stand, I figure you can stand too. All right? And the Bible says in Luke chapter number 5, verse number 1, And it came to pass that it's the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God. I love that, folks. The crowds gathered to hear the word of God. Isn't that awesome? I would love to see a day and age where crowds gathered to hear the word of God. That's just phenomenal. And he stood by the Lake Gennesaret. This is the Sea of Galilee. Gennesaret, Galilee. And this is that same sea. They call it a sea. It's not connected to the ocean. It's a big lake. I've been there. It's beautiful. But it's just a lake, okay? Now, verse number two. And he saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Here, this is funny, though. How do you think about this? Okay, Jesus can walk on water. Correct? Yeah. Why does he need a boat if this dude can walk on water? Like, why does he need a boat? Like, seriously, you ever think about it? You see, we got to look at the Bible like that. Like, this guy walks on water. Why does he need a boat? Just, just kind of like, I mean, if the crowd was paying attention before, they would really pay attention if this dude just got up and walked on water, okay? You tracking with me? I mean, he would have it, un, they would be glued to him. He's standing on water preaching and teaching to them. This would be a captive audience. But no, he uses a boat. This is, suppose this. You see, Jesus Christ doesn't need you and I. That's what I'm trying to get at. He doesn't need us. But he uses us. Because it's not what God wants from you, Christian. It's what he wants for you. That's what it's all about. It's not the tithe. It's not that, oh, if you don't tithe, this place is going to shut down so you better tithe. God needs your money. No, it's not what it's about. It's not what it's about. It's not what he wants from you. It's what he wants for you. Oh, if you don't serve in the ministry, that's just so wrong. God needs you. If you don't don't serve, this place is going to fall apart. No, no, no. That's not it. It's the opportunity to partner with Almighty God to change a life and to see something incredible happen. Folks, we've got to see it like that, okay? Continue. Sorry, I just had to throw that out there, okay? That was free. Verse number four. But when he left speaking, he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we've toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I'll let down the net. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net brake. And he beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships, so they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him, and the draught of fishes which he had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And verse number 11 is a key verse. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. They forsook all. The video, it said, are we all in? Are we fans? A fan is not all in. Followers are all in. Today, 
I want us to come to the point in the next 30 minutes where we, by the end of this service, we're saying, I don't want to be a fan anymore. I want to be a true follower. Or maybe there's some here thinking that, hey, I'm in church. I am a follower. We're going to dive into that this morning. Let's pray and let's ask God's blessing on the reading of his word. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, there is an anxiousness inside of me to communicate your word. And I pray that you would do what I cannot do. I pray that these people would get what you're saying to them. I pray that your Holy Spirit would have free course, free reign to speak and to work. I pray that you would richly bless your word and use this message. We love you so very much. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Jesus did not die to keep us safe. Jesus' whole goal was not for your safety. It was so that you and I would realize that if I'm going to follow Jesus, it does demand not something, not just anything, but it demands everything. And that's a gospel that people don't necessarily always want to hear, folks. The reality is that if you want to draw a crowd, that's not exactly what you tell people. Jesus Christ was famous for drawing a crowd. He could draw a crowd like nobody else could draw a crowd. But yet he wasn't so concerned about how big the crowd was. His main concern was the commitment of that crowd. You see, you and I, we, we're, we're enamored and we think that for Christianity, for the gospel to go forward, it takes a great group, it takes a lot of money, it takes a lot of people, it's more effective with more people, it's more effective with a lot of funding, but it doesn't take a lot of people. Jesus Christ with 12 people turned the world upside down, Christian. So for you and I to step back and say, well, church needs to be this size to be effective, I would argue that point. Or for my faith to be effective, the whole office has to be Christian. Or for my public school to really see revival in my school, there's got to be a Christian club, and there's got to be other Christians, and we've got to band together. It's helpful, but it's not the necessary. I'm trying to get us to a point where we say, am I just a fan of Jesus or am I truly a follower? Because a fan has a different mentality. The fan gets up there and will rip on the players, will rip on the coach, will tell them how poorly they did and tell them how terrible they are as they're overweight, they couldn't do a push-up to save their life, they couldn't bench press anything, there's no way they could take on those linebackers, but yet somehow they in that bleacher stand are the experts. And we've sometimes have Christians like that. Oh, they know how everything should run. They know how the music should be. They know how the preaching should be. But ask them to do something. They ain't doing jack squat because they're a fan. That's where they are. Man, you can get up here and you can make a plea. And man, they just kind of sit back and just kind of cross their arms and just say, they ain't doing crap, man. They're just, they're whatever, man. Whatever. Just everybody else do it. Instead of saying, wait a minute, the gospel came to me free but it demands something of me. And I would gladly do it because we've got this generation of younger Christians coming up and they're looking at Christianity and they're debating, is this something I really want to follow? And the reason they're debating it is because they haven't seen any risk. They haven't seen any faith. They haven't seen that, hey, this is really something. It's one thing to grow our children up in the church. It's another thing to grow them up in Christ. There's a big difference. The church says dress like this, act like this, be this, do this, form, outside, behavioral modification. But when we're in Christ, we see that I have grace, I have freedom. And that's the goal. Christ is the goal. And so we want to get that. See, there's a great paradox in the Christian life. 
And the paradox is this, that we die to live and we live to die. The Apostle Paul said it best in Galatians 2.20, for I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. So we die daily, but yet when we die, we live. There's a great joy in serving other people. Have you noticed that? Like I would much rather have $5 to give somebody who needs it than to be the person who needs the $5. There's great joy in giving. There's great joy in serving. There's great joy in those that get up early, that come and they set up, they tear down. There's great joy in singing and leading. There's great joy in giving back. But the person that sits there and is not involved, there's not that joy that the other person has because they are saying, I'm going to die to myself. I'm going to get involved. You see, Jesus has a lot of fans but few followers. Even in this passage, the Bible says, a great multitude pressed upon him. A great multitude. But if you were to go to John chapter number 6, you see this exact same crowd leave him. And Jesus turns to his 12 disciples and he says, will ye also go away? You see, Jesus could draw the crowd, but he wasn't so much concerned with how large the crowd was. He was concerned with their commitment. And he wanted them not to just be fans of Jesus, but to be followers of Jesus. Hey, you can go anywhere, Christian, and everybody will tell you, oh, I'm a fan of Jesus. It's very politically uncorrect to not be a fan of Jesus. It, it, you just, yeah, I'm a fan of Jesus. Um, they may not go to church. They may never read their Bible. They may have never had a salvation experience, but yet they're still a fan of Jesus. They'll still wear a cross. They'll get the tattoo, or they'll, they'll um, do something religious once a year. They're a fan, but they're not totally engaged. You see, Jesus Christ, to some, Or let me ask it like this. Is Jesus the one and only or one of many? Is he the one and only or the one of many for us? The one and only means, hey, everything is about him. He's my focus. He's my drive. He's the center of it all. Or is he just one of many? In Luke chapter number nine, we don't have to turn there, but I'll read this passage for you. The Bible talks about how the people pressed upon Jesus Christ and the people started saying hey it's Elijah the prophet come back from the dead it's John the Baptist come back from the dead and then Jesus turns to his disciples and he says hey who do you say that I am and Peter pipes up and he says thou art the Christ the son of the living God and Jesus says hey flesh and blood haven't revealed this to you but God has revealed this to you you say why did Jesus say that because Jesus wanted to know what the apostles thought of him Hey, am I just another prophet or am I the one and only? Because if I'm just some guy, you're not going to follow me to the death. If I'm just some guy, then Peter, you will not hang on an upside down cross and be crucified. Hey, John, my buddy, you will not allow boiling oil to be poured over you to try and kill you. You wouldn't let that happen. You wouldn't. Hey, Philip, you're not going to allow yourself to be speared to death in the country of Ethiopia for my name's sake if I'm just a prophet. And you're not going to go all out, Christian, and witness to your coworker, and you're not going to sacrifice, and you're not going to evangelize if Jesus is just one of many. You won't, and I wouldn't. Until we reach the point where he is the one and only, where it's, it is Jesus. 
There's no other, there's, there's no other gods. It is John 14, 6, but Jesus saith unto them, I am the way, the truth, the life. It's not he's one of many ways. It's not Oprah's theology. God is a mountain, and there's many different paths up this mountain to God. It's not like, hey, you go by Allah, I go by Buddha. It's all the same. No, it's not. Jesus, the one and only. And when we get to that point, I thought I'd get a few more amens out of that. Thank you. All right. Excellent. I'm just going to say I was worried for a second, you know. We've got to get to that point where we see that it is Jesus Christ. So this begs the question, okay? There are a lot of fans, but few followers. So I need to reevaluate my commitment to Jesus Christ. Reevaluate it. Hey, is this, did did I make that commitment? We do it in marriage. We reevaluate. You say, it's not do we doubt, but there's some times where we say, you know what? The relationship is drifting. We need to spend some time together. Hey, I can feel a disconnect. Let's get back together. Let's reevaluate. Let's reconnect. Let's fix this thing. Let's work on this thing. The same comes with Jesus Christ. Not only do we need to reevaluate, we need to reaffirm our devotion. Reaffirming that devotion to Jesus Christ. That's why we come on a Sunday. That's why we'll pray. That's why we read our Bible. It's reaffirming our devotion. You know it's true. I couldn't just say the only time I ever loved Jane is the one time I said it at the altar. I loved you. If anything changes, I'll tell you. No constantly reaffirming and i've noticed this guys this turns out pretty good you want hot meals and you want a massage later on in the day i'm telling you text your wife that she's hot just throughout the day and i'm telling you what your day just gets better i'm telling you what just compliment your wife throughout the day just send her flowers send her roses guys this is free you should take notes i'm telling you what this is good things happen when you do this stuff and when you reaffirm your devotion how do you reaffirm your devotion to christ he said dude i'm doing it right now That's part of it. That's part of it. That's great. I'm glad you're here. Otherwise, it'd be me and Brother Chris here. We just kind of, he'd sing, I'd preach at him, and then he'd preach at me. We just just tag team or something. I'm glad you showed up. I'm glad this is part of reaffirming your devotion. But it's not the only thing, Christian. There's got to be something inside of you that says, I'm going to reaffirm my devotion by getting up. I leave for work at 5.30, so I guess I got to get up at 5 o'clock to reaffirm my devotion. Or I guess I got to stay up till after the kids are in bed. I hate staying up late and I hate getting up early. It's the worst of both worlds, okay, Christian? But yet, I've got to make time for God's word. I've got to make that sacrifice. And so are we willing to say, I'm going to reaffirm my devotion? Next, there are a lot of people interested, but few that are invested. In this same passage, notice something. Jesus comes to Peter. The Bible says Peter is mending his nets in verse number three. And it says, and he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now understand something. Peter is a fisherman. You fish at night, okay? The Bible says Peter's mending his net. That means Peter hasn't slept yet, has he? He's gone all night, and now he's going to take Jesus out on a boat so Jesus can teach the people. Doesn't know how long, but Jesus is famous for teaching the people late into the day where it's too late to go back to the town to buy food. He'll just teach to them all day. So here's Jesus, who could be very long-winded, much like myself, teaching, and here's Peter. He's invested because that boat is not just a little canoe. That's his livelihood. That's his business. It's like me saying, hey, I'm going to go to your business. I'm going to take an office, and I'm going to have church there. I'm going to set up a little room there. I'm going to start doing stuff there. You would say, no, no, this is my business where I work. That's what it was for Peter. He was invested, Christian. This was his livelihood. And at this point, he's not making very much money. But Jesus Christ just says, hey, I'm just going to get into your boat. Can Jesus just get into your boat? 
I mean, just, just get in. He doesn't ask permission. He just gets in and he says, hey, you, thrust out a little. We got we, we to we preach to these people. Will you allow Jesus just to invade your life? Or is it, no, 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 no. I'm a fan. I'm interested in you, Jesus, but I'm not invested in you. A lot of people are interested. I could pass out flyers for our church all the time. People are interested. Invested is another matter. What about us? Are we invested in this? Jesus Christ is saying, hey, I want to get into your life and I want to change things and I want to do things, but yet you and I were saying, no, 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 I'm not really, I'm interested. I'm just not invested. I'm not invested. We allow people to get invested into our lives to really make a difference. Sadly, too often, we don't. We don't allow them. You see, there was a young man in Luke chapter number 18. He's called the rich young ruler. He came to Jesus, and he, he told Jesus, hey, what do I need to inherit eternal life? And he comes to Jesus in Luke 18, and Jesus said unto him, why do you call me good? None is good, save one that is God. And then this rich young ruler, he said, all these things have he kept. And then Jesus gives him a list. He says, hey, don't commit adultery, don't kill, don't steal, do not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother. And this rich young ruler says, all these have I kept from my youth up. And you know something interesting? Jesus doesn't argue with him. It'd be like me saying, hey, how many of you, you honored your parents your entire life? None of us be able to raise our hand. I don't, unheard of that. I honor my parents. Jesus doesn't argue with him at this point. This guy is a good guy. And guess what? He's got it all. He's young, he's rich, and he's a ruler, which means he has power. Those are all the things we covet today in society. Those are the three things we covet the most. We want to be young, we want to be rich, and we want to have power. This guy had it all. And he was just a good guy, a moral guy. He said, I've honored my parents. I've never stolen. I've never committed adultery power back then and money you could abuse that stuff all day long but he said i haven't done it and jesus doesn't argue with him but jesus says to him hey sell all that you have and give it to the poor the bible says this man went away sorrowful for he had great riches this guy was interested in jesus but he wasn't willing to get invested he wasn't willing to take that next step you see you may have everything but everything without jesus is really just nothing Let me say that again. You may have everything, but everything without Jesus is nothing. Imagine this guy years later on his deathbed. He'll be revered as this guy was financially savvy, great with money. If you gave him money to invest, this guy, he would give you a great return. Not just 5%, 10%. This guy has 20 and 30% return. This is the guy to handle your money. Man, when he would take his business, went Fortune 500 just like that. He's stellar. He's great. Good family man. You know, never did anything wrong. A moral guy. But what does that matter without Jesus? He's still going to end up in hell. My money can't buy me out of hell. My talent can't get me out of hell. So what good is it? It's nothing without Jesus. And that's where we've got to get to, Christian. We've got to understand that it's not wrong to have things. But to have things and not have Jesus, we've missed it. We've missed the mark. We need to get invested. You know, this is confession time for me. I hate asking people to do things for me. 
I hate it. It's, maybe it's a guy thing. Maybe it's just my temperament. If I can do it, I will do it. If I can lead the children's ministry right now, I'd be leading it. If I could sing, I would be singing. If I could play an instrument, I'd be playing. I would do it all. I wouldn't ask anybody to do anything. I have the hardest time to ask anybody to do anything like that. And for me, is anybody else like that? You, you have a hard time asking. Good, yeah, I have the hardest time. And my wife, she'll tell me, she said, you're stressing yourself, ask somebody to help you. And it's just, maybe it's the German stubbornness side of me where I'm just like, no, I'll do it myself as I'm like crumbling. You ever seen those guys in the airport? Um, the kids and the wife are running ahead and he, you don't see a person, you just see bags and you know there's a person underneath all those bags. That's me in life. I'll just carry it all. I'll just do it all. Not complaining, just like, you know, and uh, just kind of going along, just doing my Christian duty, and just kind of going along with life. And I'll just never ask anybody for help. And I'm the same in this church. I'll never, it's so hard for me to ask you. And when I do, it'll be like, kind of like, my head down, wringing my hands. Would you, would you please, please, once a month, just once a month, would you please help me you know it's so hard for me to say the most difficult thing for me to do but then i got convicted this week i'm robbing you of a blessing of serving god because you're not doing it for me i'm robbing you of the opportunity of serving almighty god that sees life change happen and life change accomplished you see it's not that you pass the offering plate for me it's not that you sing for me it's not that you lead and set stuff up for me it's not that you evangelize for me we're doing it for Jesus Christ. That's who we're doing it for. And at that point, there's a blessing. There's a reward in serving Jesus and doing it for him. So there are a lot of people interested, but few invested. There are a lot of people who will invite Jesus in, but don't want him to interfere. Notice this. In verse number five of the same passage, I love what Peter did. Jesus' background is a carpenter. Yes, he's God, but he's also a carpenter. In verse number five, the Bible says, or in verse number four, the Bible says, and when he had left speaking, he said to Simon, launch out in the deep and let down your net for a drop. Let down your net, let's catch some fish. Jesus is not a fisherman, but yet he's giving the professional advice. Anybody here, as you're driving, you hate it as somebody is a backseat driver, they, they're, they're telling you how to drive. It bugs me. Oh, it bugs me. Um, I won't mention who, but there's somebody in our family. It's not the two kids. Um, they'll do this occasionally, a lot. And, um, but they don't say anything. They tap, okay? They'll be sitting by the window. If I need to make a right-hand turn, they tap on the window. And it'll get louder until I turn. It'll just be a nice, subtle, and then it'll be like... And it's a good thing this person doesn't have rings on that hand because I'd be placed in windshields, okay? And it's just this subtle thing where you say, I got this, you know, and I, I'm going to do this. And sometimes we can be like that in our Christian walk. And instead of saying, uh, saying that, having that attitude, Peter just says in verse number five, Peter said, Master, we've toiled all the night and have taken nothing. I love this. Nevertheless, at thy word, I'll let down the net. Because Jesus tells me so, I'll do it. Not because you're the expert here, but because it's Jesus calling me to do it. Peter was willing to let Jesus interfere in his life. Peter was willing to let Jesus dictate some things that Peter would not normally do. Because there's a lot of people in the crowd and fishing during the day was not what you did. You don't fish during the day. You fish at night. And here's Peter fishing at night. Nobody expected it. And all of a sudden, and Jesus said, let down your nets, plural, multiple, Peter let down one net, and the Bible says his net break. 
If he would have listened to Jesus, he probably would have caught more fish, but his net began to break. He had to call somebody else to help him because he didn't obey God's full command here. And so he's missing out on some things, but yet he's still, he's obeying. He's allowing Jesus to interfere. A lot of us will invite Jesus in, but we don't want Jesus to interfere in our lives. You see, fans think of Jesus that he'll just do a little makeup in our lives. Just kind of a little, little fix up. Jesus Christ is not in there just making up some things. He's interested in a makeover in your life. That's what he wants. Just change it. Just to have control. Some people, fans, they think of uh, Jesus when he'll come in, he'll just do a little tune up. Just fix a little things here and there. You know, don't fix everything. I want to have some things myself. You know, I love that habit. You know, I, I like that. Jesus, he's in for an overhaul. Fans, they just want Jesus just to inspire them. Just inspire me. And Jesus is saying, no, no, I want to do more than inspire you. I want to interfere in your life. And I want to dictate. And I want to lead you. And I want to guide you. That's what Jesus wants. But then through this whole passage, we see that there's these fans. And we're separating these fans. And some people, they think, hey, I'm not a fan. I'm a follower. And I'm going to follow Jesus. And they think, like the Pharisees in this passage, they think that's how you follow Jesus. Notice at the end of this same passage in chapter number 5. I'm going to read a couple verses. And it's actually in verse number 30 of Luke chapter number 5. If you've got it, that's great. If not, don't worry about it. In verse number 20, the Bible says, And he left all and rose up and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his own house. And there was a great company of publicans and others that sat down with them. Verse number 30, But their scribes and Pharisees murmured against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with publicans and sinners? Here is Jesus getting criticized by the Pharisees because the Pharisees were famous for keeping the rules. Keeping the rules. Some people think that to be a follower of Jesus is all about keeping rules. That's how I grew up. Keep the rules. You toe the line. You don't drink. You don't smoke. You don't go with girls who do. You don't watch rated R movies. And you don't go in theaters. Oh, man, I'm going to hell now, man. I'm telling you what, it's over. But that was it, man. It didn't matter what else you did, but as long as you kept those, those are like the sacred commandments. Try find them in the Bible. That's hard. But hey, no, no, those were the rules that you kept and you were in good standing. And it was rules. Never once was it about a relationship. And we wondered why in our youth group, as soon as people got a little bit old enough to kind of look at the word of God for themselves and see that they just want my behavior to change. They don't want my heart to change because behaviors won't affect me just changing the outside won't affect my heart. Only Jesus Christ and the power of the gospel can affect my heart. And so they just wanted us to uh, perform, just kind of do right, act right, dress like this, wear this, don't listen to this, listen to this. And it was just this, toe the line. And that's the Pharisees in the word of God. They're all about the rules, okay? All about the rules. Just keep the rules. Matter of fact, they would add to the rules, thinking they would be more spiritual. Can I tell you something? You can be the best person. You can give to charity. You can uh, donate your time to the homeless shelter. You can have all these good works. But without Jesus, you're just like the rich man. You have nothing. It's not your good works, folks. We talked about this last week. All our righteousness is as filthy rags, the Bible says. Rules never accomplishes what only a relationship can do. See, Jesus wasn't involved, wasn't interested in them towing the line and keeping all the rules. He was interested in their relationship. See, the Pharisees, it wasn't about a relationship with them. It was all about the rules. It was, no, no, this is what we do. 
This is how we earn God's favor. I can't earn God's favor. I'm favored by God because of Jesus. I didn't earn it. Jesus, when he shed his blood, I then became accepted. Maybe you remember in 2004, there was Matt Emmons. He went from first place in the Olympics to eighth place. He was a sharpshooter, and it was his last qualifying round for gold. This is it. And uh, Matt Emmons, he steps up. He Because at times, I will not be lovable. That's how I can love somebody who cuts me off or somebody who cheats me or somebody who backstabs me. That's why I can do good to those who hate you and despitefully use you because what Jesus did for me. See how it comes full circle? It's not about rules. It's about the relationship. When I have the relationship, it doesn't matter what people do to me. I watch TV and I see what's going on in ISIS. And you know what I keep praying for? Because this, this, is, this is so familiar, okay? They hate Christians with a passion, vehemently opposed to Christianity, cutting off their heads, putting them in prison, taking away their, their wealth, taking away their homes, forcing them out of their homes. You know what it sounds like to me? And this is the way I pray. Maybe you can pray this way too. Sounds like some of those guys are a modern day Apostle Paul. That's what he did. He killed Christians. Took away their homes. Took away their wealth. Pushed them out. You say, no, 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 no. We need to stop them. Haven't you heard? They're going to invade the United States in the next 60 days. We can't, don't anybody fly on the 11th. Don't do anything. We need, we need a nuke them, man. Just drop the bombs on them. Because when Jesus comes in, he changes us. You say, no, 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 man. They're cutting kids' heads off. I have no love for them. And I'm with you in the flesh. That's where I'm at. That's where I'm at. Vengeance. Let's get retribution. Let's get some payback. But then Jesus steps in and says, I died for them. I love them. Therefore, he loves me too. I can love others. You can love that neighbor. You can love that relative that hurt you. You can do kind to them. Based on a relationship, not based on rules. Rules you would never forgive, folks. We would never forgive based on a rule. But when we understand that Jesus forgave me, it changes everything. That's how we have to approach the Christian life. Otherwise, you're going to become what I was for a long time. Bitter, angry, upset, cheated you got to release it all you can't carry that around that's me drinking this poison and hoping somebody else will die or get sick that's what it does but when i understood that this how can i quit being a fan it's based on a relationship because i just fall in love with jesus more and more every day as I recommit my devotion. See, the Pharisees, they chose rules over relationship. Get this, they chose the law over love. They said, we'd rather have the law. In Galatians chapter number five, verse number one, we don't have much time, we gotta wrap things up, you gotta go and eat. Galatians chapter number five, verse number one, it says, stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made you free. That's not law, it's freedom. But the Pharisees, they said, no, 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 it's the law. And they missed out on love. They crucified love, love hanging on a tree. Dying there for you and me. Love. They chose the law. And I see Christians today that are doing the same thing. They're choosing the law over love. You see, we're not going to reach a community by just pumping law. You just need more law, man. 
No, it's not going to change them. It's not going to change the person who's been abandoned, the person who's been hurt, the person who's been abused, the person who's been cheated. They don't need more law. They need love, folks. For God so loved the world. That was our greatest need. Love. The love of Jesus Christ. That's what's going to change things. So if you just say, man, my coworker, I just hope some holy wrath of God would just come down and consume him. No, I need some love. Bake him a cake for his birthday or something. Do something. Show them love. It'll change everything about you. And lastly, the Pharisees, they chose guilt over grace. Because that's what the law does. The law only brings guilt and shame. That's all it can do. The law reveals my guilt and my shame. That's all the law does. The law is a revealer of where I have failed. The speed limit says 55. I'm going 56. I've broken it. I've broken the law. Therefore, there comes shame sometimes. Sometimes I'm in a hurry. Got to keep going. (laughs) Got to get home to mama. And I'm looking at it. But then sometimes there's this guilt that comes in. Broken one of God's laws. There's this guilt. And the Pharisees decided to live under that when they had broken a law. Are you going to live under that guilt, that shame? Are you going to say, no, no, I live under grace. Unmerited favor. God loves me, not because I loved him. Therefore, I choose no longer to be a fan. I quit being a fan. I will be a follower of Jesus Christ. And yes, that may cost me something, but it changes everything because what I get, I give all of, Jesus, I give all of me to Jesus and I get all of Jesus. That's a good trade. That's a trade I'm willing to make because I'm not that great of a person. And we don't have to raise our hand and confess all our faults, but if we're honest with ourselves, we're not all that we want to be. It's why we dress up. It's why we work out. It's why we work on ourselves. It's why we wear makeup. It's why we do buy new clothes. It's why we try to find the right friends, because we're trying to fix us. And God's saying, hey, just, I get all of you and you get all of me. I'll take that trade. I want to come to that point where we as a church say, I, I quit being a fan. I want to be a follower. So on a Sunday morning, man, after church, it changes our perspective when we, see, and when we see that. You know what? I was involved in that. Man, it changed the way the music went. I got involved there. It changed the way the setup went. I got involved there. It changes everything. I got involved with that activity. I got involved with that growth group. I got involved with that small group. I got involved, and it changes the experience. If church right now is just kind of, meh, for you, just get involved. See if it changes. Before you just leave altogether, get involved in something. See what happens in your own heart. It'll change things for you. But I'm going to warn you as we close. As soon as you decide to be different, Satan will give you a reason to stay the same. He will. You're gonna, you've made decisions this morning, the last 45 minutes, where you said, I'm going to change this. And Satan's already going to tell him the way out of the theater doors, he'll give you a reason why you should stay the same. He'll give you a reason why to hold the grudge, why not to forgive, why not to love. He'll give you the excuse. He will. And next week, we're going to deal with that. So you come back next week as we look at part two of our I Quit series. Every head bowed, every eye closed as the pianist comes. Can we all stand up during this time? We'll have a 